Let the church say amen. amen. <clears throat> Again, let the church say amen. amen. Uh, Brother Giles, you almost got me with that audible, by the way. The, the last audible I was a part of, I showed up to a funeral only to find out I was doing the funeral. <laughs> Talk about miscommunication. <laughs> Uh, but this would have been an audible I wouldn't have been upset with. So, uh, <laughs> uh, brothers and sisters, the Lord is good. Amen? Amen? It is good to see you all in the house on this morning. And by the way, uh, before I start, uh, I don't recall who was doing the slides last week, but I owe you a major apology. I did not find out until Thursday that this past Sunday, the scripture I read from did not match the screen. And I'm still trying to figure out how that happened. Uh, but my, my best guess is usually when I'm studying and I'm comparing various translations from time to time, somehow that translation got in my notes and I read from the notes. So whoever was doing the slides, forgive me. That was completely my apologies. Uh, hopefully that won't be an issue this week, though. So uh, that being said, I'll invite you to rise, if you're physically able, for the reading of the Lord's Word. This morning, I am reading from Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 3 through 13. Hebrews 3, uh, Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 13. So let me read this in your hearing. Let me pray, and then you all can take your seats. The word of the Lord reads as follows. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. We'll stop there. 
Father, we bless your holy name. And as we come uh, to this moment in the service where we look to your word, we pray indeed that your spirit will help us to digest what it is you would have us to know from your word. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and soften our hearts that it may be shaped by what it is you are communicating this morning. Thank you for this time. We commit it unto you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. The title for this morning's message is Loved by Discipline. Loved by Discipline. When I think about the Lord's love, I am constantly being challenged to realize that with the Lord's love, there is more than meets the eye. I want you to think about it like this, for example. Perhaps you've met someone and you've come to know them a little bit, and on some level you think you know them, but then you come to realize that there's so much more to that person than you even thought, whether for good or for bad. You might have met someone, and you, you see how skilled they are perhaps in their work, but then you come to find out that they have this hobby that you never knew about, or... They had this experience that you would have never guessed about that person. In other words, there was more than meets the eye to that particular person. And it's the same when it comes to the Lord's love. What I mean by that is when we think about God's love, we, we, we think about uh, the ways in which we feel cared for the ways in which we might have been provided for, the ways in which he has guided us and given us wisdom. And, and on some level, these, these uh, elements of love are comfortable, assuring, things that we uh, really love and appreciate. But there's much more to God's love than what meets the eye. And in this particular passage of Scripture, we'll see how this element of discipline is also an element of God's love for us. Again, God's love is not just those things that, that excite us, they make us feel good, they assure us, but there is also a part of God's love that proves to be painful that can be uncomfortable, that can stretch us. And this is what the author of the Hebrews is getting to in this particular portion of Scripture. And by the way, this, this should not be strange to us, if you will. In, in Isaiah's prophecies, we hear about how the Lord's ways are not our ways. And, and you'll see that carried out all through the Gospels and in Jesus' ministry. Again, we saw last week how God says, don't just love those who love you, but love your enemies. 
We see how God's love is, is he comes and he brings redemption, not through um, military might, but through the cross. God often does things in ways that to the natural person is quite strange, difficult. And so we'll see again some of that here uh, in this letter. Now, if you're not familiar with this letter, uh, as a whole, the author is uh, he's doing a number of things. For one, he's highlighting the supremacy of Christ. If you read the letter as a whole, you will see how the things in the Old Covenant were good. They were great in some cases, but none of them compares to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, you think Moses was awesome, and yes, sure, he was, but Jesus far exceeds Moses. You think Sarah or Esther or whoever you admire in the Old Covenant, if you think they were awesome and great, and by the way, the Lord used them to do mighty things despite their flaws. So on some level, we see the greatness of the Lord in them, but they do not compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can think about that with practical things in life. I don't know, it might be, and this is uh, not trying to be silly, but it might be a food that just brings you comfort and joy, or it might be a certain hobby, or it might be uh, somewhere you like to travel. All of these things can be great and wonderful in and of themselves. But the author in this letter would remind you and me that none of these things compare to the greatness of the Lord and what it is we find in him. So the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen all throughout this letter. In addition to that, or in the midst of that, the people that he is writing to, who are mostly uh, Jews, it is believed, they are also experiencing some persecution. And by the way, that it's almost a common theme throughout the various letters of the New Testament. But these folks, they are experiencing a variety of persecutions, not just from those who um, might be Romans or in other areas where they might find themselves who want nothing to do with the faith, but also their fellow Jews who do not believe in Christ, but instead are trying to get these folks to conform to the, to the law and to the commandments. So the folks in this letter, they're being hit on both sides. And it is believed that they are questioning, is Jesus really worth following? It's almost... Like John the Baptist, for example, when he's locked up in prison in the Gospels and he sends his disciples, ask Jesus, is he the one that we were looking for or should we be looking for another? These folks were struggling and they were trying to figure out, is this really what we're called to as Christians? We heard there was blessings in Christ. We heard there was victory in Jesus. We heard that in him we are conquerors. 
And yet, we're being hit and persecuted on every side. And in this passage of Scripture, you will see how the author informs them of an angle of God's love that might uh, have felt strange to some. Look at me, look with me uh, at verse number three. He begins this portion of scripture, and by the way, verse number three, you can connect it to the preceding verses, but it also flows with what is to come. But nonetheless, he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He comes off in this part of the passage for our purposes on this morning. He starts off with pointing the people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is uh, what's interesting is, he knows that the people are going through something, and more than likely, the author is as well. And instead of saying, you know, you're going through something, this is what you should do, this is how you do it in order to get out of your difficult situation, instead of giving them these prescriptions or these steps, which I'm not against, obviously, uh, in circumstantial situations, but in this case, he points them to Jesus. He says, in essence, you are going through something. You are being tried. You are being persecuted. You are struggling. Well, in the midst of your struggle, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who knows what it is that you are going through. Look to Jesus who himself endured persecutions, and trials, and tribulations. Look to Jesus who knows exactly how you're feeling. And without running too quickly past that, sometimes that's what we need to make it through whatever it is that we're going through. There are, there, there are times, again, where I know for me personally, whenever I'm going through something, instead of sitting in it and looking to Jesus, or as the psalmist says, be still and know that he is God, instead, I'm trying to figure out how to claw my way out, how to get from this uncomfortable space to a more comfortable space, how to get off of this unsettled ground onto more firm ground instead of looking to Jesus. He says to the people there in his audience, he says, as you're going through what you're going through, look to Jesus. Consider him who endured. And so, brothers and sisters, that almost, that almost, uh, on some level, it, it's self-explainable, but it's, it's a healthy reminder that whenever we find ourselves facing whatever it is we're facing, to consider Jesus, to look to Jesus, to remember Jesus and all that he went through. Amen? Now, he goes on in verse number four. He goes on and he says uh, these words, In your struggle against sin... You have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, 
on this, you know, you can view this as a struggle against personal sin, and I think there's some space for that, but I think the overall context suggests uh, it, it has Christ and the cross in mind, specifically the blood that he shed as a result of the persecution from sinners. And again, if you read the previous verses, you will see that context. But in essence, it says that Jesus, in his struggle against the sin that was being, one, placed upon him, but also committed against him, his blood was shed. These people, I don't know whether or not there were martyrs amongst them. I think that on some level it might be a safe assumption. But to the people that he's writing to is currently still alive, he is saying that Jesus' struggle took him all the way to the cross. He died and he shed his blood. Again, this is an, ext this is an extreme way of showing that Jesus knows what it is that you are dealing with. Jesus himself, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of all of creation, he wasn't just laughed at. He wasn't just spit upon. He wasn't just doubted, but he even shed his blood as a result of the persecutions that he faced. And again, brothers and sisters, I, I have to remind myself of this every time I think about the cross. It was not easy for Jesus to endure that. I, I, I'll, you'll hear me say that almost, I don't want to say every time, but you'll hear me say that often when we talk about the cross. Do not think for a second that what Jesus endured as a result of his persecution was easy for him. And yet, he endured for our sake. Amen? Now, in verses 5 through 11, I won't read all through that, but here is where the discipline part kicks in. And let me, let me say off the top that this, this discipline... While it can mean uh, a couple of things, it can mean punishment or uh, retribution as a result of discipline. Uh, but it also, and it often means, and as is the case in this passage, it has more to do with training. It has more to do with a shaping, a making of the people into something. But nonetheless, this is where the angle of God's love, uh, the angle of, of discipline comes in. He goes and he communicates to the people that God, in essence, is involved. Now, now on some level, it, it, it's reasonable to think that this would have been something that was like, whoa, I see perhaps Romans persecuting me. I see my own fellow kinsmen persecuting me. And, and you're saying that God is involved? And he, and he goes on to say that, that this is God's discipline of you. This is his training of you. This is his shaping of you. And, and he does that for all of those 
who are his. I think I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, I think I used this example when I was visiting up here. Um, my son, he likes to hear this story from time to time, especially with him being all into sports. But uh, I, had the, I had the pleasure, one day I was in high school, freshman year, and, and you know, basketball season had started and everything, and you know, we're somewhat at the beginning of the season, and I remember walking through the lunch line. I remember walking through the lunch line one day, and the coach, the head coach of the varsity comes up to me and says, uh, from now on, I want you practicing with the varsity. And it's almost, it makes me think of last week when I was like, did I hear what I thought I just heard? And I said, I don't, I don't think I said excuse me, but I know he had to repeat it. <laughs> I want you from now on practicing with the varsity. And so from that very day, I began practicing uh, with the varsity and, and getting an opportunity to dress out. And I remember distinctly, he used to be so hard on me. And, and what caught me off guard was I felt like he was being harder on me than some of the older folks. And, and he, he got a sense, he could, he could sense that I was, I was distressed or I was stressed about it and discouraged. And he pulled me to the side and he told me, he said, the reason I'm hard on you is because I see something in you. And I want you to achieve what I think you can achieve. And he said, some of these other guys, they're here, they're playing and I'm not hard on them because this is just an activity for them. But for you, I see something and I want to bring it out. And from that moment on, that, that discipline, that, that fussing, that, that hardness that was on me, I saw it in a whole other light. And I think on some level it helped me out. I mean, that was my way through school. And so when I look at a passage like this and I think about how the people are going through something and they're struggling and they're being disciplined, the author is saying that there is something that will come from this. The Lord is treating you for one as his children. And by the way, he says in verse number eight, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. It's a dangerous place to be when you feel no conviction about sin. It's a dangerous place to be when you don't even think twice about engaging in sin. We all commit sin. We all fall short. But praise be to God if there's conviction. Praise be to God if you feel a sense of remorse because it is, in essence, Proof of the Holy Spirit working in the children of his. But in this passage, he says, if you're not dealing with something, if you don't go through discipline, that is a problem. And it could be the case that you are not belonging to the, to the father. And so he's trying to encourage the people here to 
take the discipline, the trials, the tribulations, the persecutions, the struggles, and he's trying to get them to see, instead of focusing on the struggles themselves, look at it as God using this to train you up, to make you more and more like his son. He says, as a matter of fact, in verse number 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, God does not take us through things simply for the sake of taking us through things. We may not always get the answer in the moment. We may not always fully understand why is it that I'm struggling on my job? Why is it that I'm struggling in school or in my family? Why is it that I feel lost? Why is it that I feel like I'm being persecuted? We may not fully understand. But if God is involved, something good for your soul will result. And he says this in verse number 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the author's way of saying, get up, keep going, keep pressing forward. Keep moving because the Lord, again, is involved. Now, I have one application point that I'm going to use, and I'll be brief with this. We're dealing with love and action. And for that purpose, I want for us to, or I would like for us to place ourselves uh, in the shoes of the author. The author is writing to those who are going through something. And he said a number of things, but big picture, the author, I believe, is expressing a love for the people in the midst of their difficulties by pointing them to Jesus. We all go through something. We all know folks who go through something. We all perhaps know someone who is going through something. And there are various ways in which we help others. Sometimes it's just being a listening ear. That's all that person needs. Sometimes it's just being present. Sometimes it's, it's, it's saying difficult things to them. In this particular case, and I believe this on some level encapsulates all of it, are we pointing folks to Jesus? Those that you interact with, whether it's a coworker that's struggling, a family member that's struggling, a friend, a fellow church member, insofar as you are called into that person's life, 
insofar as you have the responsibility to love on that person, does your method of love point them to Christ in the midst of their difficulty? I'm not saying we don't recommend books. I would do that. I'm not saying we don't uh, offer them our experiences of going through things. I'm not suggesting uh, that we shouldn't do any of that. But how do these things point to Jesus? How do we connect? Do we connect what someone is going through to the Lord Jesus? Now, again, that is very general. And there takes great discernment in how to do that. But this is what the author is doing in this case. He is dealing with folks who are struggling. He is dealing with folks who are going through some things. And that letter as a whole, and this passage in specific, the big picture is these folks, in light of what they're going through, they're being pointed to Christ. They're being pointed to God the Father. And that is a way in which we love those who are going through things. This is not suggesting that we don't uh, help someone. You know, they might be in some specific uh, physical need or whatnot. We do all of that insofar as it's in our power. But if that person, that person hopefully should be able to identify what you're doing or see Christ rather in what you're doing for them. And so I want to encourage us as a church, as I'm encouraging myself, whenever I interact with someone who is struggling, with someone who is dealing with some major things, am I doing my due diligence in pointing them to the Lord Jesus? And perhaps it's helping them to see that in their trials and their tribulations, the Lord is training them. He is shaping them for something far greater. May the Lord, by his Spirit, help us. May the Holy Spirit give us discernment. May he encourage us and may he help us do this. And as I officially close, brothers and sisters, the Lord was disciplined for our sake. The cross, what he went through, the persecution and the trial, and never, never mind what he went through I say that lightly from the enemies, but what he went through from the hands of the Father himself was for our sake. Him going to the cross, him experiencing the humiliation that he experienced, him experiencing the difficulties and the trials and all of that was for you and for me. There was great benefit in the Lord's being disciplined by his father. And it wasn't because the Lord was deficient in anything. It wasn't because he committed any sin. It was all done for us who were more than deficient, who were more than sinners. And yet, because of what he went through, we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank God for the discipline of Christ. And as he was disciplined, when we're disciplined, may we see the Lord's hand. And when we help others, may the Lord help us in pointing them to Christ and the discipline they may be experiencing. Father, we bless your most holy name. And Father, we...
we confess that when we go through trials and tribulations, uh, perhaps it's hard to see your love in this. Sometimes we may uh, feel unloved, uncared for, or alone. And sometimes we cry out, why have you forsaken us? But yet, the author to the Hebrews challenges us to not only see you, but to see your love in the midst of our difficult moments and times. And so, Father, whenever we're struggling, whenever we're dealing with persecution or um, just feeling down, or maybe it's something internal that we are just struggling with, Father, help us by your Spirit to be reminded that you are training us. You are shaping us. You are doing something in our lives. And Father, as it relates to us helping others and loving others, help us, Lord, to point folks to you. Give us wisdom and discernment in helping others to see how you are training them even in the midst of their difficulties. We trust, Father, you. We trust your word. And we thank you for what Jesus went through for our sake. And just as he went through persecutions, so must we. But just as he was raised from the grave victorious, so will we be. Help us to be encouraged by these words. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.